welcome back to Is This Too Woo Woo? with me, your host, Denise Wilson. In this podcast, we discuss all things spiritual, self-development, supernatural, and sometimes just downright spooky. The term woo-woo was created by the patriarchy to dismiss and belittle intelligent, defiant, and curious folk who have often decided not to follow conventional and organised religion but to find their own path and be open to the infinite energies and possibilities of the universe. I'm turning this narrative on its head and asking the patriarchy, is this too woo-woo? Together we'll discuss many topics, some of which will resonate with you, and others you'll be sitting thinking, what the F is this woman on about? (laughs) All I ask is you to keep an open mind. Think of this podcast as a huge buffet of spirituality, self-development, supernatural and spooky. Take a little bit of what you fancy and leave the rest behind that doesn't sit right with you. Now that we've got that part settled, let's get our teeth into this week's episode. This week we're sticking with our spooky theme for October and we're going back to ye olden times of the 16th century to look at some of the most infamous witch trials in Scotland and what sparked them off. I'll be sharing confessions from those accused and tried and there'll be mention of some of the tortures that they suffered so this is a pre-warning, things will get gruesome. I think it's no secret that witchcraft has coexisted alongside the church for centuries. Those who were accused of being a witch were mostly healers, herbalists, midwives or just very intuitive and wise women whose services were often called upon from all cross-sections of society. Something I do need to stress here as well is that at this point in time, the general population actually believed in witches, sorcery, magic and witchcraft. They believed that witches had the power to influence the world and people around them for better or for worse and any strange, unusual events such as illness, freak weather storms and crop failures was all blamed upon witches and magic and sorcery. Up until 1541, in England, being a witch wasn't a serious crime. In fact, if you were accused and found guilty, you'd probably have been sentenced to a few months in prison or fined. And if you couldn't pay the fines, then you would have just been sent to the workhouses or to a debtor's jail until it was paid off. So what happened and what changed, you might ask? Well, to answer that question, we need to look at what was happening in England in 1541. Now, Henry VIII is what happened. Um, Henry VIII ruled over England from 1509 until his death in 1547. And he initiated the English Reformation, separating the Church of England from Rome and appointing himself as the supreme head of the Church of England, also that he could annul his marriage to Catherine of Aragon, who was a Catholic and Spanish, and um, to marry Anne Boleyn. In doing so, he was excommunicated from Rome and became extremely paranoid over potential attacks from France and Scotland, particularly as France and Scotland had formed an alliance back in 1295, which was 
very originally named the Old Alliance, which meant that if either country was ever attacked by England, then the other country would then come to their aid and invade England. Because of this paranoia and growing religious tensions in England, the first Witchcraft Act of 1542, making witchcraft a crime punishable by death in England, was introduced. In this act, it was forbidden to use, devise, practice or exercise or cause to be devised, practised or exercised any invocations or conjurations of sprites, witchcrafts, enchantments or sorceries to the intent to find money or treasure or to waste, consume or destroy any person in his body members or to provoke any person to unlawful love or for any other unlawful intent or purpose, or for despite of Christ or for lucre of money, dig up or pull down any cross or crosses, or by such invocations or conjurations of sprites, witchcrafts, enchantments or sorceries, or any of them take upon them to tell or declare where goods stolen or lost shall become. So that was the situation in England, and now we're going to take a wee jump across the border into Scotland. Witchcraft became punishable by death in 1563, and according to the survey of Scottish witchcraft, of those witches that were found guilty, about two thirds were executed, and the method of execution in Scotland was to be strangled to death before their bodies were burned. Of course, before a death sentence was passed, the person accused, usually a woman, would have been interrogated, tortured with sleep deprivation and starved. Thumbscrews and iron branks or a muzzle would be put upon them to force a confession. People also believed that witches were in league with the devil and that followers of the devil had a mark upon their bodies to signify the pact that they had made. Professional witch prickers will be brought in to prick the accused person's body several times and often in the most intimate places in search of the mark. It was thought that the devil's mark would leave that region of the body invulnerable so that no pain could be felt or blood could not be drawn from it. The aim of this torturous method was to get people to give in and confess to their alleged heinous crimes of witchcraft. Scotland was not alone in its fear and persecution of witches. Witch hunts had plagued Europe since the beginning of the 15th century, which is when the idea that witches worship the devil began to take hold. The Scottish witch trials panic was, however, the most deadly and severe in Europe. Out of a population of roughly a million people between the years 1591 to 1662, up to 4,000 people, 85% of which were women, were executed for witchcraft. This was five times the average European execution rate per capita five times more the average than what was going on in the rest of Europe. 
So why was it that the Scottish witch trials were so much more deadly than the rest of Europe? Well, much of this can be attributed to the last Scottish king, James VI of Scotland. Later, he would become the first king to hold the throne of England, Scotland and Ireland at the same time. James VI himself became personally involved in the witch hunts and trials when in 1590, he believed that he and his new wife, Anne of Denmark, had been attacked by witches that had conjured storms in the North Sea in, in an attempt to kill them during their passage from Denmark to Scotland. One of the first women to be accused during this panic was called Gailis Duncan, and if you're a fan of Outlander, you'll probably f be familiar with this woman's name. Gailis Duncan was a young maidservant from Tranent, which is a small town in East Lothian. Gailis worked for a man named David Seaton, who was a deputy bailiff. Now, Seaton had noticed how Gailis would often leave the house at night and became suspicious of where Gailis's late-night wanderings were taking her. As a result of his growing suspicions of Gaelis, Seaton took it upon himself to accuse her of witchcraft when he had seen how adept she had become in healing the sick. In an extract from a publication called News from Scotland, it was remarked, This Gaelis Duncan took in hand to help all such as were troubled or grieved with any kind of sickness or infirmity, and in short space did perform many matters most miraculous, made her master and others to be in great admiration and wondered thereat. This wrongful accusation resulted in Galus's arrest. Seton then began to investigate and, with the help of others, illegally tortured her. This torture involved the use of pillywinks or thumbscrews on her thumbs to gradually crush them and binding a rope around her head and gradually crushing it by wrenching. Despite all of this torment, Duncan would not confess to anything. Seton then set about to look for the devil's mark upon her body. Gillis was stripped naked, shaved and subject subjected to an invasive full body examination. Eventually he found the enemy's mark in the forepart of her throat. Gillis had endured sleep deprivation, isolation and cruel and sustained torture and it was at this point she broke. She confessed and was forced to name other witches before being moved to spend a year in the old Tolbooth prison. Through Gaelis' confession, Seton came to believe that there had been a plot to cause a storm to stop Anne of Denmark's voyage to Scotland and from marrying King James VI. Gaelis told Seton there had been a witches' meeting attended by over 200 and held at the Old Kirk of North Berwick on Halloween. In fact, she had said that the devil had been present himself. And as recent historians explain, the accused women like most Scots of the time, would have been well aware of James's marriage and the politics of the court. Indeed, if we are to believe the pre-trial examinations, Gillis Duncan deponed in January 1591 that Agnes Sampson had said, now the king is going to fetch his wife, but I shall be there before them. Whatever this cryptic statement meant, 
It shows that the king's doings were the subject of common talk. Agnes Sampson, another of the accused witches, in one of her confessions described Galus Duncan as leading a dance comer, Go Ye Before, to the tune of Gillatripes at the Old Kirk of North Berwick, playing a small mouth harp or organ. James VI is said to have interviewed her in person and listened to her playing the mouth harp and singing. In this first panic, which became known as the Witch Trials of North Berwick, over 100 people were arrested and accused of witchcraft. The main alleged witches directly involved in the North Berwick trials were Agnes Sampson, Barbara Napier, Dr Fian, also known as John Cunningham, Euphemie McAlzine, Gillis Duncan, Robert Grierson, Leonard Bandilandis, the porter's wife of Seton, the smith of Bridge Hallis, and the wife of George Mott, Margaret Aitchison, as well as Alanis Muir. More than 100 suspected witches in North Berwick were arrested. Several confessed under torture to having met with the devil in the church at night and devoted themselves to doing evil, including poisoning the king and other members of his household and attempting to sink the king's ship. In February 1591, James VI instructed David Seaton to find accused people who had fled to England. The English ambassador Robert Bowes wrote that these fugitives were the worst sort of witches. Agnes Sampson, a respected and elderly woman from Humby, and Dr John Fian, a schoolmaster and scholar in Preston Pans, both initially refused to confess and were put to severe torture. Agnes was brought before King James and a council of nobles. She denied all charges, but after torture, she confessed. By special commandment, her head and body hair was shaved and she was fastened to the wall of her cell by a scald's bridle, which was an iron instrument with four sharp prongs forced into her mouth so that two prongs pressed against the tongue and the two others pressed against the, the cheeks. She was kept without sleep and thrown against the wall with a rope around her head. Finally, after these ordeals, she confessed to the 53 indictments against her. She was eventually strangled and burned as a witch. According to news from Scotland, Samson confessed to attending a Sabbath with 200 witches, including Gillis Duncan. Dr. Fian also suffered severe torture. His fingernails were forcibly extracted, then iron pins were inserted. He was tortured with pillywinks or thumb screws and the boot, which was another torturous device, divined to be worn around the foot and the leg to cause crushing and mutilation. Fian was finally taken to the Castle Hill on Edinburgh and burned at the stake on the 16th of December. Fian's testimony implicated Francis Stuart, the 5th Earl of Bothwell, in a supernatural conspiracy bringing a political element to the ongoing trials.
Six years later, another panic broke out. Once again, witches were reported to be conspiring against King James personally. A woman named Margaret Aiken, the so-called Great Witch of Balweary, claimed special power to detect other witches, many of whom were put to death on her word alone. This panic halted abruptly when Aitken was exposed as a fraud. This incident embarrassed witch hunters greatly, and that same year, partly to justify the recent trials, King James published his treatise Demonology. Witchcraft attracted scholarly interest in the 16th century, and the King's book reflects how James saw himself as an intellectual. King James VI is also known for his sacred Christian work, the King James Bible. Demonology explains the way the devil operated in the world. He was the leader of the fallen angels who had become demons. These demons then made pacts with people and granted them powers to work harmful magic. According to James's book, therefore, witchcraft was a secret conspiracy between humans and demons who were out to do all the harm that they could. Against this conspiracy, the faithful's only hope was to appeal to God, and especially to the God-given powers of kings like James. Later, political events shifted witch hunting away from the central place in James's worldview of his role as divinely ordained king. After James succeeded Queen Elizabeth I as sovereign of England in 1603, he faced a new religious opponent, militant Catholics. Catholic conspiracies threatened his claim on the English throne in much the same way the North Berwick witches threatened him in Scotland. After the gunpowder plot of 1605, Guy Fawkes' plan to blow up Parliament and kill, kill the king, James turned away from hunting witches in favour of rooting out any Catholic conspiracies. Even though King James' attentions had shifted, ideas about witchcraft had permeated Scottish society. The notion of witches as a demonic conspiracy descended through the lower levels of local government, making the witch hunts of the 17th century local as well as national affairs. There was a geographical pattern that shows the state's interest in rooting out witches. Heavy witch hunting took place in areas near the centres of state power, such as Fife and Lothian. Fear of the devil was at its peak when the state was determined to enforce religious uniformity. More than half of all Scottish witch hunting took place during brief but intense periods of panic. In one locality after another, the authorities uncovered evidence of apparent witch conspiracies. Outside the panic period, by contrast, there were a trickle of cases. Most practical measures to weed out witches were taken by local leaders of the Scottish society, the lairds, the local aristocrats and ministers. They formed kirk sessions, which were parish committees of the church, to supervise the people and to bring them to godliness. Kirk sessions were not criminal courts, but they could arrest and interrogate suspects and pass cases on to the secular authorities. Most offences that Kirk sessions dealt with concerned extramarital sex, 
which may explain why so many Scottish female witches were accused of sex with the devil. While many of these incidents began locally, some panics in Scotland had origins overseas. The third nationwide panic began in 1628 and probably spread to Scotland from Germany, which also experienced a huge upsurge of witch hunting in the late 1620s at the time of the Thirty Years' War. The effect of such panics would have been felt at the most local level. In Western Scotland, in the Church of Dundonald, for example, on November the 8th in 1629, the minister publicly, out of the pulpit, did inhibit and discharge all sorts of charming and resorting to charmers, consulting with wizards, sorcerers and others of that sort, certifying all and sundry who did so in the time coming they should be prosecuted with death as for the crimes of witchcraft. Scotland's witch trials didn't begin or end with King James, but it could be said that cycles of witch panic were validated by the support of the monarchy who openly stoked the embers. Through his active pursuit of witches, James VI will likely remain inextricably linked to the Scottish witch trials of the 16th century, which fills a forever dark and uncomfortable chapter in Scotland's story. And with that, we come to the end of today's episode. I did tell you it was going to get a little bit dark and a little bit gruesome, but there we go. It's the truth. So I do hope that you've enjoyed listening to it. If you have enjoyed it, please leave a five star rating or review if you can or subscribe, follow, like, whatever you can to show your appreciation of this podcast. It helps with the modern day sorcery that is known as algorithms, which helps other people to find the show. Until next time, stay safe and always stay woo-woo.